Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome back for episode 67 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on January 6, 2017 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the live chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. Looking forward to a great year with all of you. This is your host, Blue Crew 86 Alongside me, we have the flowery voice of Justin Sane 0516. Justin, how have the drops been for you? Been pretty good. Not so much uh, in the video game since I played Outlast, my pants, um, and then uh, missed my raid last night because I fell asleep. Played a little Halo. <clears throat> Excuse me. Other than that, everything's been dandy. Nice. Yeah, you did play some Halo. Just a yeah, little bit. Man. Some infection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Mel is out on business over on the West Coast, something about a, a convention of some kind. If you guys are out that way, definitely give her a stop by and give her a shout. Um, but I think I think Justin and I are going to be able to find our way through the darkness for a single episode. I think we can do that. We've done it before. We, we have done it before. Um, we won't comment on how well we did it, but we have done it. Uh, okay, so... The topic of today's chat is going to be an exploration of the Vex strikes that we have in Destiny currently. Before we get into that, however, I do have a few housekeeping notes. In our last chat, we took a look at the House of Devils. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all previous chats, as well as links to the other aspects of Focus Fire Chat out on the internets. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins on Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday at about 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network found at theguardiansofdestiny.com. These include Guardian Radio, the official podcast for the Guardians of Destiny, Guardian One, and Ghost and Echoes, which also has the Destiny audio grimoire. Our next chat will be a discussion on the lore of the future war cult, or, as our chat knows them, the Rainbow Death Squad. With that... Let's go ahead and look at what we have on these wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey strikes against the Vex. Lorebot, let's go. Query. Grimoire. Database. Results found. Displaying on screen. Let's start. I think the the best part um, to start here is just the introductions for strikes in general. Um And this is a quote from Commander Zavala. There are threats that must be faced with unfettered aggression. Are you ready? Commander Zavala. Our enemies hide amongst our lost worlds, plotting to ensure our extinction. But the Vanguard keeps a vigilant watch on places where the creatures of the darkness grow strongest and seeks guardians bold enough to join forces to face them. 
So if you're, I mean, everyone here is familiar with strikes, whether or not you do them religiously or not. They are smaller incursions as as compared to a raid, um, wherein they take three people and a raid takes six. Um, but no less important, we have slain some really important uh, bosses running strikes. Agreed, yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> obviously this particular card is you know, uh, just, well, obviously it's just an introduction and to the concept of what, what we're doing here. Um, and like Justin, like you were saying, you know, yes, this is something that in the normal, I guess, new newbie guardians, I don't, I don't know what would you call them? Kindergartians, I guess would be the best way. Wouldn't yeah. they're, they're not the ones that are going to be doing this. We used to have, uh, you know, we, when we did a, I think it was year one. Was that year one that we had the Vanguard and the Crucible marks? Yeah, yeah, it was two so, separate currencies. Yeah, when well, when they were separate currencies, they had an explanation on those currencies as, you know, only the best get the best. And it's kind of the same as legendary marks, but it was much more pronounced between the two. Um, and that's where the strikes kind of came in were because this was kind of a way for your guardian to prove to the Vanguard that, you know, you were the best of the best. Um, I think the the next one is obviously going to be, so we're obviously doing Vex themed strikes. So I want to jump into just a really quick introduction to the Vex, which we've done episodes on the Vex. We've talked about the Vex, you know, all over the place. Um, but just real quick, the Vex Grimoire card says living metal, incomprehensible intelligence. The Vex are architects of ancient and complex structures thought to be buried within every celestial body linked by a network. Unlike any on earth, they operate in unison directed by a single unfathomable purpose. So my, one of the things that I'm going to talk about later when we're, when we're kind of connecting all the dots with these strikes is this concept of a network. Um, it's a very important aspect of the Vex, and it is something that when you start when you start looking at the chronological order of the strikes in the way that they dropped and the story that they actually tell along the side of the main story of Destiny, there there is something of a very interesting emphasis that the Vex put on one particular boss that keeps coming back. No matter what we do, he just keeps coming back. Um, and there's a reason for that. There, There is a reason for that, even more so than for the Vault of Glass or for any of the other, you know, aspects of the Vex, like the the precursors or not the precursors. Um, what am I thinking of? Soul Progeny. More importantly than the Soul Progeny um, or the, even the Black Heart to a degree, there is now the Black Heart will have a we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um but there, there is a there is a purpose of them, and this concept of a network is a very interesting connection to the strikes in particular. So, with that being said, you want to jump jump into the first strike that we that we had. Or yeah, you have anything? Everyone loved getting this strike because you could clear it in like what? Oh God, it was ten minutes. It got to a point where yeah, it was like. 10 minutes or so very quickly is this is a very quick strike if you're farming strikes you want to get the nexus quite often um far below the ishtar academy the vex have set something into motion 
a world-eating machine transforming Venus into another link in their intergalactic chain. This nexus must be stopped and the mind that controls it destroyed. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was a quote from Ikora Ray. Um, <clears throat> now, the nexus mind does have actually a name, and that name is Secreon. And it's Secreon Nexus Mine. Um, and the Grimoire card for Secreon says, The Vanguard's intelligence sources now believe with good confidence that Secreon oversees the expansion of the Vex network through the crust of Venus. The Hydra chassis common to many Vex Axis mines boasts impressive computational capacity. Secreon likely uses this capacity to regulate coordination and crosstalk between Minotaurs operating in the construction role. Destroying Secreon should significantly hamper the Vex's effort to incorporate the entire planet into their network. Okay, real quick. Going to pull this up. Again, we're, we're looking at the Nexus mind. So Secreon, basically the function of Secreon, like it says, is leading the Vex, specifically the Hezen Protective, um, which is the Hezen Protective are basically of the different programming collectives in the Vex, I guess the Vex Armada or forces, um, Hezen Protective tend to be the ones that actually don't focus on military aspects. They're actually usually designated to very large construction projects or other things that are not necessarily military. Not to say that they aren't capable of being annoying as everything else, um, but they, they tend to focus more on construction and other non-military aspects of the major projects for the Vex. So Secreon actually leads these Vex in an attempt to convert Venus into the giant machine planet with the idea that that's probably actually going to be added to the overarching ne- Nexus network of which the Vault of Glass is a part of. Now, this is kind of a theory, um, but it does say here that they are trying to theoretically they're trying to expand the vex network through the crust of venus which we know that they've done to other planets uh mercury primarily um as well as other celestial bodies that it speaks of in the the general card but you know the other thing is is we're going to see secreon come back um and there's actually different versions of secreon secreon is actually a very integral part of this nexus and the thing here is you need to segregate the the idea of a nexus from the nexus mind, um, just in the same way that Atheon is the basically controller of the Vault of Glass and the conflux that there, Secreon is one of the <clears throat> higher nodes that controls this nexus. Now, the nexus is usually conceived to be a, a massive transdimensional and transtemporal supercomputer network that is planned out by the Vex to allow to write themselves into the fabric of the universe. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, already fault of glass is pretty, pretty heavily thought of as a, as a pretty int- integral piece of this overall network. You know, Justin and I were kind of chatting about this before the show, but it's curious to us, to, or it's curious to me why Venus has not already been converted. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition, I guess you would call it because the vault of glass is located on Venus vault of glass is very, very integral to this network yet. They haven't converted Venus pr- 
prior to putting the vault of glass, which kind of begs the question of, did the vault of glass exist before they did that or anything? I know, Justin, you were, you had a couple of things to throw in there. Well, I think the vault of glass has more than likely always existed. And I think it's always been a matter of what space in which it existed. The vault of glass is, is the place in which times confluence exists. So, okay, so you think it's kind com- of like a natural. Yeah. Yeah. Time, there, there has always been times confluence, I think in the mm-hmm. destiny universe, there's always been a convergence of, if you think of time, like we've talked about before in the, in the cyclical model being, being an ever expanding series of rings, each ring being a timeline, there will always be in this, in this naturally decaying set of orbits, a place where all roads lead, right? Mm-hmm. And they they all lead to the vault of glass times confluence is Atheon. So he is kind of the guardian of this place. So so what so, I, so what you're saying is there's always a lighthouse, there's always a man, there's always a city. Exactly. Exactly. And sorry, and sorry. I, I think had, the I kinda had to toss that one in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, I think I think the geography of it all is is almost irrelevant. But I also think it's it's worth noting the actual meaning of the word nexus, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. can have a couple different meanings. They're all pretty similar. Basically, it's a connection or a series of connections between two or more things or a connected group or series um, or it can be the central or most important place of something. The nexus always, the word nexus always kind of signifies a coming together of something, um, a focal point, um, not unlike a confluence, but um, I think the nexus is the jumping off point for their world building. So I think in any place where the where the Vex are cultivating a, a machine planet, you'll have a nexus and you'll have a nexus mind. It just so happens at the moment, that's what's happening on Venus. I don't think, I, I don't know if that makes sense. I, um, it kind of does. So like, I, I uh, so a confluence, you know, is a junction. It's, it's primarily a junction of two rivers, but it's basically mm-hmm. rivers of approximately equal width. So it's, it's an equal, uh, like they're, yeah. they're the same. One's size. not being right. swallowed by the other. Right, right. One's right. not being swallowed. Whereas a, both nexus, of them are- a nexus, I don't think has that distinction. Um, a nexus is literally just a linking of two or more things. Uh, yes, it's, it's just much you know, more a networking term than a than a confluence. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So my my thought is is like when we talk about the nexus as this as the supercomputer you know the nexus mind uh secreon i view secreon on par they're two separate entities right <clears throat> the nexus is definitely not it's like a, a a rectangle is a square but a square isn't a rectangle the nexus the vault of glass could be part of the nexus but the nexus is not necessarily only the vault of glass right the nexus is everything the vault of glass is like the nexus of that network. It's the most important point or place of the network that is the nexus in general. So Atheon controls the vault of glass. Nexus minds control the overarching nexus of all the Vex intelligence. 
that network that can, that spans the entirety of their, their pretty much their existence. And that's what makes it so intriguing for me is that Venus. So we have managed what, what I'm basically kind of coming to the understanding is, is that the vault of glass, let's go with the theory that the vault of glass is kind of a natural confluence and they just built, you know, they found, they found two rivers that joined together, you know, well, technically it's more, it's actually three at least should be infinite. Yeah, I, I think it's infinite, but I know it's at least three, the past, present and future. Um, because we we see those three individuals in the vault of glass in the black heart or in the black garden you know everything that the vex have uh you have vex from the past vex from the future vex from the current uh this is commonly seen in the descendants and the precursors and um the affix invasive those are those are the kind of um sorry descendants are from the future uh, precursors are from the past and the affix invasive are generally assumed to be from the present. Now you have different variations of those different pieces, usually within like the Hezen and then the soul and then the Virgo different, um, what, what are called, what are called programming collectives. And these are different aspects of the Vex purpose that they all serve. Secreon definitely is associated with the Hezen protective, and like I was saying, Hezen Protective is predominantly the construction workers. They are not the military minds. Atheon, Atheon actually is a descendant. Um, if you look, uh, if you look at his, this is all based off the the physical model that is presented to you in the game. Atheon is that of a descendant. Descendants are usually the really white and shiny looking vex precursors are the ones that are kind of coppery and brassy um excuse me they're the ones from the past they're the earlier versions of the vex Mm -hmm. and then the affix invasives are the ones that have the really cool little red mohawks and they're really annoying and you don't really see them a lot you see them in the vault of glass in the prison of elders um what we do kind of know about the affix is they're basically their elite security is kind of the theory that we have about the affix. Um, so, but what the point is, is that, you know, the, they always kind of come in threes, which is not any surprise to anyone who pays attention to anything that Bungie does, but they come in threes. They come in from the past, <laughs> the, pr- the, the past, the present and the future. This is again, very, very made very clear to us with the soul progeny. And this is the three giant minotaurs that we see at the Black Garden. Now, this is definitely taking a step off the strikes. But what I want I want to make a point of pointing out here is the the Vex are the Vex are capable of temporal manipulation, which is going to be a it'll be important in not the next strike, but the the strike following that. Um, and but back to the Soul Progeny, real fast. You have three. You have the primeval mind, the imminent mind, and the eschaton mind. Now, the prime the, the confusing thing with these is that they are presented on game screen as being all of, I think, all soul progeny. But when you look at the actual models, one is definitely a descend. One is definitely modeled off the descendant. One is definitely modeled off of the. I think it's the one of the Hezen archetypes. And then one is definitely a more precursor. Um, the primeval mind is the past, 
the because primeval is kind of the initial point. Imminent is something that's just about to happen. It's usually associated with the currents. And then eschaton is actually a theological term that means basically the end of times. It's the, the future. It's the things that it's the very last thing that's going to happen. So that's from the future. So you have those three aspects, even in the Black Garden. So Secreon is connecting, is basically, Secreon is installing Venus as another node within the nexus of which it is a nexus mind. So it's basically, uh, in layman's term, I guess you would call, Secreon is basically an IT hardware specialist who is installing a new computer into a network for the workers to access their intranet to communicate better. (laughs) Does that make sense? Did you just, did you just equate Secreon to the annoyed IT guy? Yes. I mean, seriously, (laughs) Secreon is the annoyed IT guy. He has to keep coming back and you keep like smacking him. So I just want to make a little point here and I don't know, you may agree or disagree, but Secreon is the mind that controls the the world building capabilities of Vex, correct? What's that? He he Secreon is the mind that controls the focal point of the world building capabilities of the Vex. So at, wherever they're trying to build a machine world, a nexus will will appear and a nexus mind will accompany it and they will will coordinate um, all of the assets that go into transforming that world into a perfect machine, right? Uh, yes, I would make one qualifying or one qualification is we don't know if there are multiple Nexus mines. Okay. That's where I'm going with this. That's where I'm going with this. We don't know. There's no confirmation. There is no highly unlikely to me with the, with the wide sweeping range of the Vex and the, the fast power of them that Secreon is the only, the only Nexus mind. That seems unlikely. uh, uh, Well, it seems a little unlikely. I'm thinking, what about, but what about Atheon? Is, Atheon was the only one. Well, Atheon, A- Atheon is by definition times confluence. There can only be one of him. Well, but if you if you view Secreon is a that in the chat right now. If you view Nexus Mind as the physical body for the Nexus, then technically there can only yeah. be one controller for the Nexus. I mean, and this is this is actually I'm, we're we're gonna we're we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because we when are, we talk when we, we talk are. about when we talk about the echo chamber, let's come back to this this conversation. Let's yeah, let's because let's, I have I have an idea about the echo chamber that kind of makes more sense and that it ties yeah. directly into this conversation. So okay, so much like this conversation, we have another mind, mm-hmm. a mind that is undying. Oh God, um, yeah, yeah, the undying mind. He's just let himself go and he's covered in moss and he doesn't care because he just does not care. He's the undying mind and he's in the black garden. Uh, The black garden may not stay among us for long. Something has begun to repair the schism torn by its destruction. Vex now flood the garden channels to protect it. We must stop the weavers before they seal the garden and begin to summon its black back its heart. 
<clears throat> Ikore. Yeah. So the Undying Mind in Vanilla was a PlayStation exclusive. Um, we got it during the Taken King, I believe. Uh, um, we yes, Xbox got it during the Taken King. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Qualifying statement: We means Xbox. So <laughs> yeah, I knew. I knew Mel, what you were saying. Yes, if yeah, Mel was he here, knew. she'd slap you. Yeah, she would slap me. So. Um, the Xbox community got the Undying Mind uh, right around Taken King. So we have another mind. I think there's a network of minds. That's just me. But uh, well, well, there is. There, there, there is. Um, however, the the important thing here is that the Undying Mind is actually a a um, precursor. Um, Again, yes. Just look at yeah. him. Moss covered. <laughs> look at it. Moss it covered is, past dweller. Right. Um, and the undying mind, obviously, like you know, was saying, is that it's seeking to revive the black heart and reseal the black garden from the guardians. And this is this is an ancient ancient mind. Uh, it was created by the precursors, which I assume means that the the shell was constructed. Um, and this. It, it basically laid dormant in the garden until until we destroyed the black heart. When we destroyed the black heart, it it woke up. It basically activated. Its functionality was required. So its function, you know, required that it activate and do its task. Um, and so it, it's usually, even in the strikes, it's associated with the soul divisive and the primeval factions. Uh, the primeval is another term for the precursors. And but but there's an interesting aspect to it. Even the Vex seem to fear the undying mind. Now, the interesting part about this is that there are there are two really intriguing individuals or not individuals, but uh, Vex models that are in part of the strike. The The actual strike card is a conversation between the Vanguard with the the quote, which I actually is relevant to this discussion that we were just having, Justin, is from Maya. And she says, We are starting to believe that time is home to the Vex, and somewhere in those unmappable voids dwell their undying minds. So... Keep keep that also in the back of your head because you know we're talking about how they how they might have more than one. Well, they might, but at the same time, they might just have one because if they can access it at any point in time, they could have infinite number of minds with only having one mind. Right? Does that make sense? You you just blew my mind. Right, but I mean, do you see that's that would increase your processing yeah. power without increasing your body count. <laughs> You are correct. Right. And and this is important when we get to the echo chamber, which we'll get it to very quickly here. Um, yeah, yeah. I got, uh. So real real fast, though, there's there's two, like I said, there's two intriguing Vex models that happen in the Undying Mind Strike, which is, it's, it's an interesting strike in and of itself. But keep in mind that this is, this is a mind that is ancient. This is a mind that supposedly even the Vex fear. And they have a there's a unique Cyclops that actually is guarded by primeval Vex, uh, soul primeval Vex, and then it guards the mind. And this is called the Divine Oculator, which is kind of an interesting term because 
it sounds like a sounds like a device, right? Or maybe it's divisive oculator. Anyways, so I think it's divisive oculator. I think I wrote my my notes down a little bit. Um, oculator. Oh god, now I can't. Now I can't find my notes. Oculator. Give me a second. is basically something that it's to do with lenses. Um, It's usually someone who like has the capability to use a lens or makes a lens, you know, seeing it's, it's something to do with seeing. Now the, the kind of intriguing thing there is it's a device of oculator. Uh, The name kind of implies something that sees divisions but it's also a cyclops, so it only has one eyes, one eye. So, yeah. Um, the fun part about the device of oculator is if you hit it enough times, it goes berserk and actually starts shooting its own friends. So, keep that in mind if you ever have this strike. Friend punch. Friend punch, and it's not it's not Fellwinter's friend punch, or not Teamer's friend punch. It's it's a it's a bad felt friend punch. Its friendship is not magic. Um, the the other intriguing model within the strike is actually something that I find maybe the source of the, this supposed fear that the Vex have of the undying mind. It's called the depraved, uh, depraved goblin. This is actually a goblin whose head has been removed and it's only pretty much only attack is to kamikaze run into the guardian. So, Mm -hmm. but, but the, the, (laughs) the fun part is you didn't take its head off. It's head was already removed. So who removed his head? Is it be like, you know, like what, what is this? Is this like a form of, Hey, this is, this is going to be your punishment. We're going to have to take your, your head. Sorry, but I don't want to, no, I don't care. You, you were acting up. You were, uh, yeah. you were being, you were being divisive. You were being a bad goblin, bad goblin, bad goblin. Take his head off. It actually reminds me of the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. But anyways, um, yes. Off with his head. Off with his head. Um, That was just my, the Undying Mind, um, the connection to the Undying Mind, really, there's there's not a large connection to the Nexus, uh, simply because of all the Vex strikes, this is actually the only one that does not happen on Venus. Every other Nexus strike, or every other vex strike is connected to the nexus which is on venus <clears throat> this is actually on thank Mars. you very much Blue. yeah thank you thanks. very much mm-hmm. because now all i have in my head is is an image of kabir skipping through the black garden singing we're painting the roses red we're painting the roses red that's all i got there you go screwed it up and he and he he's going he's going to have a Vex milk tea party with the undying mind and the device of oculator, obviously. And a caterpillar. And a caterpillar. But I mean, there's depraved goblins that he has to, he has to shut. Right. Okay. Let's, let's move to the echo chamber before we go completely off the. I got the, yeah, yeah. Let's do the echo chamber. I've never played this strike because. Oh, really? You too? Politics. Um The Echo Chamber, the PS exclusive, or as I call it, BS exclusive strike. Um, The Vex still mourn the loss of the Nexus mind, but for the Vex, time is relative. 
And really, for all of us, time is relative, but I'll get into that later. Um, in one moment, a construct is lost. In the next, it is reborn. When a powerful part of the network is lost, the restorative mind is summoned. It has begun creating a bridge through time, a bridge that, if it is not destroyed, will see the nexus mind reborn. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so the restorative mind is like when you have life lock or a <laughs> comparative service. And they say, oh, your identity has been stolen. We will make you whole again. The restorative mind is here. And they will make your, you know, did they steal your nexus mind? Yeah. That's like what it is. That's exactly what it is, actually. That's exactly what it is. Except they probably don't sound as compassionate as I just was right now. <laughs> it's literally not the same thing. Okay. I've never played this strike. I I've been told it's like lightning hopscotch, but I yeah, don't know. I've heard I've heard it's kind of annoying. Um, the 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 car the restorative mind uh, is I think it's Theosian. There's the this is actually. Of the Vex Strikes, this is the one boss that is not a Hydra. This is a Harpy. Um, And the Theosian, the Restorative Mind card, says, Restorative Minds are the Weavers, carrying the means to undo any mind's undoing. Thank you, Ikora Ray, for that double negative. Says, the appearance of the Restorative Mind purports that the death of the Nexus Mind was a devastating blow to Vex efforts on Venus. But, with its appearance comes many questions. If the Vex could unleash time as a weapon against humanity, why does humanity still stand? Are we so insignificant a threat that the Vex hasn't bothered with the total total annihilation? Or is it that the very state of mankind, diminished to a last city, is a Vex doing? That the Vanguard exists in a causal loop that the Vex control in its entirety, one from which there is no escape. So... Yes, um, and correct, Hurt Chain in chat, it is a retrofitted harpy. If you look at it, it is not a regular harpy. It's got cool little blue tendrils instead of the annoying little red tendrils. And um, the other the other point here is that where, where we were saying that, you know, there's no indication that there are multiple Nexus mines, there is indication that there are multiple restorative mines, which kind of makes sense if your nexus mind is an extremely important aspect of a of a computer then you're gonna want to have a lot of things available to restore it if anything were to happen to that nexus mind that's where the restorative mind comes in or the restorative minds these are basically the control z option for the vex when in regards to a mind their entire job is to protect the minds from being undone via temporal manipulation. So, um, and I'm trying yeah. to see here. I had some notes real quick. So, yeah, I just I just said that it's Theosian is bringing the Nexus mind, who is Secreon, back from the past to complete the initial task of transforming Venus into a machine world, which, as we discussed, would be making it a part of the Nexus. 
So my note here is theosine is one of many, which we don't know, the number is unknown, of restorative minds. It is not the only one. My second note is this is this entire again, we haven't I haven't played this strike. I don't Justin hasn't played this strike, so we're I'm going off of just what I've seen online and what I've been able to talk to it. Um this is similar to from what I understand, this is similar to the use of Vex vault of glass technology that we saw in the house of wolves when Skolas brought wolves from other timelines into our reality to fight for him note it didn't work for him um and it's also seen in the capture of morphon by oryx and was the cause of the paradox mission where the vex actually manipulated the guardians into defending them because of the taken threat that morphon um posed to them if he ever were to take the vault of glass uh because basically the vault of glass would be a single access point for him to to literally hack the vex network from and infuse them with taken uh taken matter and he would be able to rewrite their existence into whatever he wanted them and that was a very terrifying concept to the vex and so they they tricked they let Praetith talk and we came running like the good guardians that we are and protected them. And then they shut Praetith back in the box and kicked us out. So, yep, that's that's my understanding of the echo chamber. Justin, you got anything? Uh, I just want to say it's it's a big departure for a mind to be in a harpy platform. Um, um well, no, mm, mm. yeah, yeah. No, Arch- no, no. Archetype, speaking. not nece- not for- necessarily. I mean, the gorgons are in harpy. No, no, no. I'm saying a mind. A gorgon yeah, is but, a okay. Mind. So, like, a gorgon is a self sufficient. Uh, I mean, is so, a self sufficient individual. Well, okay. So, real quick, to redefine. Axis mines are basically Vex shells that contain local instances of superior Vex goal sets, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're the superior units. Um, we have prohibitive mind, which is a Minotaur. Granted, most of the time, the mines, the Axis mines, are going to be in Hydras because the computational powers are extremely... Uh, m- easier to manipulate it's, within a hydra uh, the shell of it's a hydra like the is difference, designed it, for it yeah it's like the difference between a pc and a laptop like yeah yeah well, okay no no no, no. Real, that, right, right right okay no but that is you correct. got more real estate right so but for the mine for the axis mines who who don't okay uh i'm trying to think on my feet here okay going back to the example Duh. of the it technician okay an it tech who is flash copying operating systems and different programs to other people's computers, they're going to naturally need to be working from a desktop and from a hardwired system, right? They're going to be the hydras. They're going to be the, the main access minds that they need that computation. Um, the individuals who are fixing hardware, who are going out into the field and who are actually patching things, not necessarily not necessarily initially programming, but actually responding to issues and patching things, they inherently don't need them as much computational power as the primary tech of the person who is flash copying hard drives and all that stuff. So they can actually use laptops. 
which is the prohibitive mind, the restorative minds, those were those are just those are just texts. But those texts are going to have to have uh, superordinate goal sets when compared to a normal vex. So a normal harpy would not understand the logarithms that would be needed to undo a mind's destruction. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so or they 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 wouldn't even have the the parameters to even care about it. Right, 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 right. They're they're not their their function, their their function from the very basis of their their being would not be able to process this. They are not designed to do this. However, they need to. They are basically a yeah, hurt chain in the chat. They're basically the the access minds that are not in Hydra shells are massive mobile computers. They're massive mobile units that are basically emergency response units for the Vex. A uh, prohibitive mind, for example, is basically a military uh, access mind. The entire point of the prohibitive mind is to coordinate Vex action against cabal positions in Meridian Bay. That's it. He doesn't. The the prohibitive mind doesn't need to have the functionality capabilities of the undying mind, because I mean. Okay, prohibitive mind is like fighting cabal. The undying mind's trying to restart the black heart. Like the the difference yeah. in computational needs is a- amazingly amazingly different, right? Um and the same with a nexus <laughs> mind and a restorative mind. So, a nexus mind or the nexus mind for all our intents and purposes um, the nexus mind is the physical embodiment of the Vex nexus, the network that connects every single Vex, you know, theoretically even across time. That's going to require a blankety blank ton of computational processes, right? That's going to, that, you're going to need a giant Hydra for that. Whereas a restorative mind, all its purpose is, is to undo the destruction of another mind, Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you now. Okay. Um, so anyways, all that goes to say, the echo chamber, uh, Theosian is trying to restore Sacreon, and we stop it. Uh, we, we stop Theosian from doing this, which brings us to the Nexus Revisited. Now, there's... A couple people who have gotten a little twisted about this particular strike, um, and the card—the card is a conversation really between. Well, it's actually a really entertaining card. Uh, it's Ikora and Cade, <laughs> and Ikora is trying to explain something, and Cade just kind of butts in. And so, Ikora is. Do you want to wait? 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 You want to do Ikora and I'll do Cade, or do you want to do? Yeah. Who's who starts? You start. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Go for it. The Vex have restarted their world-eating machine in the bid to restore their nexus in time. Venus will be consumed. And listen to this! Scouts report that the Vex have upgraded the nexus mine with tech from the Vault of Glass. Do you need something, Cade? Nope. Just here to support my favorite guardian. I'm sure... Let's take that Nexus mind apart. I love that. So love really that. super enthusiastic <laughs> Cade from Blue Crew. 
<laughs> because you can just tell him like he just comes over and like leans over the mic and's like hello like oh um, my god you can so for the win her chain in chat justin is so much more oh like Cade. My god. i'll this. take look that at look at this shots every day of the part. week <laughs> all right so love it all right here we here is here is the crux of the problem as I understand it about the Nexus Revisited strike from a couple of different people. Um, the, the Theosian is dispatched to restore Nexus and, and we defeat them and stop them, right? Okay. So we know that the Vex have the capability of restoring the Nexus. However, we stop their standard process. So the question then is, oh, well, then Bungie just brings back the Nexus and says, deal with it. Not quite. Um, if you if you look at this card and you look at the actual strike verbiage within this strike, um, you you hear them say the Nexus is restored using Vault of Glass tech. Uh, now, there's a very interesting twist there that I'm going to get to in just a second. But understand that Theosian was not using Vault of Glass tech. Theosian was just using standard Vex tech. Now. You would argue, well, that would include Vault of Glass Tech, not necessarily, because there's there's an important there, there was an important event in the Vault of Glass that might explain why the Vex weren't using the Vault of Glass Tech in the first place, and that's in the Aegis. The if you remember, the Aegis in the Vault of Glass was something that was kind of kind of not intended to be in the vault of glass and kind of gave us a an edge in the battle against atheon and this is because of the sacrifice of kabir now kabir basically creates the aegis and he does this by and this is from the card he says i have made a wound in the vault i have pierced it and let in the light bathe in it and be cleansed look to it and understand from my own light and from the thinking flesh of the Vex, I made a shield. The shield is your deliverance. It will break the unbreakable. It will change your fate. Bind yourself to the shield. Bind yourself to me. And if you abandon your purpose, let the vault consume you as it consumed me. Now it is done. If I speak again, I am not Kabir. So, and that and that's the end of it. Um, So, the... There, there's an interesting concept or there's an interesting twist in this Nexus revisited strike. And that's that suddenly there's an agent or Aegis there in the strike. And everyone's like, well, why is this? No game mechanics. Why it is obviously that they're trying to show in, in the same capacity that they've done with rise of iron and with the take or a little bit with the taken King, but mostly with rise of iron they're they're using strikes to kind of teach people mechanics of the different raids. Now, a lot of people have read into this as, oh, they're bringing back Vault of Glass. I'm not going to comment on it. I don't, I, I'm, you know, right now that's just complete 100% speculation either way. Would I be excited? Yeah, I would love it, but I'm not going to weigh in on that that particular debate. Within the lore, though, this actually presents a chance for maybe a theory to be presented of what exactly it was that Kabir did. And there is there's a really, really well put together response to this by I think it's I think the username is Gail Gail Halimar. Um and it's I'm gonna I'm gonna link this Reddit post, 
but it was it was actually questioned by the user John Demonsbane over on Destiny Lore. It was the standard one. It was the, okay, now there's an Aegis outside the Vault of Glass in the Nexus Strike. What What is going on? I don't understand this. And, you know, the standard confusion. And Gail Helmar actually comes back and he said, he reads the card. You know, he points out the card in the, the Aegis card. And he goes on to say that this means that like Praetith, Kabir is now part of the Vault of Glass and thus intrinsically part of the Vex network in a way that defied the Vex. Wherever the Vault of Glass manifests, be it as ontological, paracausal technology capable of warping time or in far-flung realms locked behind time and space where the Vex test these powers, so does the Aegis. It is a part of the Vault, otherwise Atheon wouldn't keep teleporting Guardians to places to keep them from the Shield, which continues to exist like the Vault does. Kabir is the Aegis, in a strange blankety-blank kind of way, but the Aegis is also the Vault of Glass. It became part of it when Kabir forced the light inside. Atheon and the Vault create one another, and always will, but the Aegis is also a part of the process now. Whether it is internal or eternal independent, yet belonging to both inexplicably or yet or else inevitable, Atheon builds the Vault, the Vault creates Atheon, Aegis is there because, you know, screw you Vex. The Aegis will always show up wherever the Vex use Vault of Glass. This means, if Soul Progeny had been used outside of the garden, then the Aegis would have shown up to help them or help us break them. Basically, Kabir Kabir embedded a virus into the technology of the Vault of Glass. So anytime that they use the Vault of Glass tech after Kabir did this, there is a very strong chance that an Aegis or a, a something will show up and do exactly what the Aegis does in the Vault of Glass for us. And it's it's the Vex have always been composed or always been presented as a computer network. This makes perfect sense. The Nexus is being restored using Vault of Glass tech. If you think about the theory about the Aegis as an explanation for the mechanic and lore, then it makes sense why the Aegis is there and the Nexus re- uh, Nexus revisited. Now, the other issue is that there is an alternative model of Secreon, who is Secreon the Subverted Mind. And this is this is kind of a a twist on it because Secreon the Subverted Mind um, kind of I, I I'm not really sure how this one works. I haven't actually I have not had a chance to play this particular one. Um, the Subverted Mind. Which one is that? Uh, it's Secreon Taken. Oh, and so I'm trying to remember. There's there's a quote from Cade on this, and I'm trying to find. Yeah, it. I, I had a note that. on this. I can't find it. Hang on, give me one second, because Cade kind of makes a point of being like, you know, we thought that. <laughs> yeah. So he says, "Remember when the scholar said the Taken wouldn't be any trouble since once killed once we killed the king? Maybe they should grab a weapon and come out here." Um. <laughs> so. Sekrian comes back as a Taken Hydra, basically. Um, now, there, there's a couple options that I see. Because uh, remember, we're using Vault of Glass tech. Vault of Glass allows for the um, manipulation of time within a timeline. So there, And this actually does kind of point to the possibility that this is a multidimensional universe. 
because which we kind of already knew, but this kind of confirms it because there's multiple realities. And in one of those realities, apparently Secreon was taken. Well, when they go to take it, when they go to return Secreon, they might have accidentally grabbed a subverted mind instead of the Nexus mind, um, which, oops. But it doesn't matter because our Guardian kills it anyway. So that's the end of my notes, actually, well, is, is, the, so is could it, the Taken to become the subverted mind, Guardian to kill it anyway. Well, could it be when they took him? He became the subverted mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. like, he, he, and then, he, yeah. There was another eventuality where he was still the regular, yeah. you know, the yeah, res- yeah, yeah. That's what I mean is like my, my, in my head, the only thing that would make sense for this because, you know, Orcs is, Orcs is gone. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say dead, but gone. So basically, yeah, Green Eye in the chat. Um, the way that I, the, for some reason, this is the mental image, is the Vex are sticking their hand in like, you know, the, oh, what are they, the, like the shadow grab grab bo- or grab jars that you get, you don't see what you're grabbing. The yeah. paracausal cookie jar. Yeah, it's, it's a paracausal cookie jar, but it's playing the game of like, you have to take what you grab and they grab the wrong cookie and they pull it back and they're yeah. like, oh, am I getting an oatmeal raisin or is this a chocolate chip? See, I know. would like the oatmeal raisin. You can keep your chocolate. Yeah. Cause that's yeah, disgusting. I, you're, you're, you're gross. Um, <laughs> this, you took a perfectly good analogy in your room. And you're ruined it. No, I made it better. No, um, I perfected it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's literally when you're a little kid and you reach over the top to get the yeah, cookie jar. Yeah, you no, don't know is. what you're grabbing. Yeah, exactly. Right? You're just going to be happy with Blank. whatever form of sugar you get. Yeah, and, and pin, <laughs> pins in chat, actually, that's my one problem is he says, if the Vex can see all timelines, why would they bring a Taken? It, <laughs> that's my thing is like, I think this actually does point to a fact that the Vex might not be able to see all that. Chat just chat just caught my chocolate comment. <laughs> they're, they're, mad at me. they're mad at me now. They're, they're really mad at me. <laughs> really mad. So, yeah. I mean, and, and so, so that's, that's pretty much the Vex strikes. Um, now... Okay, so remember we put we put the conversation on hold. You want to start it back up again? Yeah, let's move it on. Okay, where were we? Because I don't remember. Uh, so we just did Nexus revisited. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to move on to items? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we can move on to. I thought we. So, I thought I was asking if you wanted to continue the conversation that we held off on earlier. But no, we can move on to um, items. No, no, no. We're moving on to items. You said so. Yeah, we can move on to items. The first of which being the mark of the Nexus Undone. So um, it says Venus turns more quietly because of you. So this just, to me, is just a commemorative mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, born. It's it's a rise of iron mark, which is kind of funny. But um it's to commemorate you killing the mex- the nexus i'm assuming the nexus uh revisited Re- yeah which i mean the nexus revisited was a rise of iron i haven't received this one oh okay so the nexus revisited was a rise of iron 
strike, um, which would make sense uh, because we, oh God, this is going to be a triple negative. We undid the undoing of our undoing. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-mm. No. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Right. Yeah, that was a little hard to follow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Theosian. Theosian yeah. was trying to undo our undoing of the mind, so we undid his undoing of our you undoing. Un- yeah, you foiled his his undoing of <laughs> of our undoing. The undoing. Yeah, that's <laughs> wow. Somewhere, somewhere, an English teacher, an English teacher. Just went and just died. An English teeper. An English um, teeper. And then after that, after that really wonderful statement from Blue, we have an equally cryptic little bit of text from the mark of the undying mind, or as I like to call it, weed cape. It um, really is. It, yeah. Oh yeah. Moss towel. however you want to however you want to put it the black garden grows in both directions which really it's funny because if you think of a plant as growing as a growing living organism both directions literally is growing in both directions i don't know that the two are proportionate probably not in most cases i always took it meaning that it grows into the past as well as into the future Yes, you are correct. I mean, I, I, I was there. I mean, yeah, I was talking real plants for a second there, oh, but yeah, yeah, you, you are that? correct. Reality. Yeah, that is what you get from weed butt flat. <laughs> I cannot stop. Hurt. I cannot be stopped. Um, and then we have so, the uh, theosian. What is this? Vibrisse? Vibrisse. Whatever. Uh, even in still air, Theosian's tendrils continue to wave and twitch. That's a gauntlet? Yeah, apparently it's... Yeah, got, I'm sorry. I don't know. It's a warlock It's a warlock thing. arm. <laughs> I love how both of us are like... Mwah. So apparently a... A vibrissa... Hang on. We're just going to play this. Vibrissa? That one. Um, is... You did the Google thing, didn't you? <laughs> In zoology, it's any of the long, stiff hairs growing around the mouth or elsewhere of the face of many mammals used as organs of touch. Whiskers. Oh, like catfish barbels. No, catfish vibrissa. (laughs) No, no, they're not called vibrissa when they're on catfish. They're called barbels. Otherwise known as whiskers. Apparently, oh, there's oh, there's actually a specific orthonology definition. It's the coarse bristle-like feathers growing around the gape of certain insect insectivorous birds that catch insects in flight. <laughs> this I, I love that Blue is so given up on saying things right that he's willing to let Google do it for him. I don't know what you're talking like, about. I totally said this, this is myself. a turning point. This in is the how podcast. this is how you say this word. It's Theosian Vibrissa. That see, it's the, this it's, is a turning point in the podcast <laughs> that Blue has completely given up trying to put trying to put the emphasis on the correct syllable. He is completely 
cried uncle, and now he's just going to talk about the Theosian. I already closed it. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to call him Theosian whisper- whiskers. whiskers. That's what we're going to call him. The barbels. Harpy whiskers. Yeah, no, you're har- right. Harpy barbels. Harpy barbels. Yeah, on a catfish, they're called barbels. But yes. If you're really big on noodling, you can you can DM me. <laughs> <laughs> so next, our next item, uh, aside from the Vibrissa, um, we had the Imago Loop, the much sought after um, stopgap for all the Guardians who were so, so direly missing their fate bringer, the Imago Loop. I got mine a couple of months ago, actually my Mago loop. And then I was like, <laughs> shot it twice. And I was like, yeah, I didn't use this gun that much to begin with, but yes, Mida. Yeah. Anyways, I might've used it. You might've, know. You might've but, used um, it. I might've used it. Um, <laughs> the fake the Mago loop. <laughs> yes. The fake bringer. <laughs> um, Imago loop. Once mighty wings, now dewy and fragile and new as again, the silken threads encased its dot, dot, dot. Bom, bom, bom. So Imago loop. So an Imago is actually, there's, there's two definitions of Imago. Uh, in entomology, it's the final and fully developed adult stage of an insect, typically winged, which I think is, you know, blatantly, obviously the reference here is that it's a, it's a loop of that because of what they're saying is the wings are becoming, you know, all that there's actually a psycho psychoanalytical definition as well is the it's the unconscious idealized mental image of someone especially a parent that influences a person's behavior so it's kind of similar to a super ego-esque type concept so almost like but, an imprinting type deal uh, yeah, no not really it's more no, of a super no. ego okay it's more of a super ego. vibrissa okay <laughs> it's not gonna love me i just i just i'm sad that this one doesn't have a this one doesn't have a link i just looked up to see if then oh come on i'm totally i'm totally totally doing this from now on the egotistical mind i i promise you it won't say pahanin right um okay mage mage is correct me it's so it's a union okay it's a union is it like an uh i'm assuming it's more like an archetype then which would make sense if it's a so it's more union archetypic archetypal than a freudian superego for those who are yeah so i mean i know what that is but why don't you explain that to the good people so that i know that you know what that is (laughs) did you watch the lego movie (laughs) um so the the predominant difference between Jung and Freud is they they both deal with the unconscious, but Freud is quite honestly a little bit more simplistic in the way that the the unconscious is formed. Freud always has uh, Freud has a basically a triumvirate of powers within the mind, uh, which is your superego, your ego, and your id. Uh, and the interplay between those three explains uh, what's basically a psychological stress or the psychological harmony of the individual. Uh, Jung actually is more focused on archety- archetypal designs within the within the unconscious and the consciousness. Uh, and there's there's also a sense of 
there, there is a struggle within Jung, but it's more about how the archetypes interact with each other and which one is more predominant within the unconscious mind. So when you say that it's a Jungian instead of a Freudian uh, psychological definition, generally Jungians are going to be a little bit more complex. Freudians, it's not that Freud is, is simpler, it's just Freud's model is uh, less fragmented than Jung. Many people prefer Jung because it's not so harsh. Freud was a very harsh psychoanalytical model. Uh, and Freud also, Freud argumentatively kind of borders on not having a lot of control over stuff, where Jung is more about the self-awareness and gaining self-awareness. Um, that That's a really, really, really brief breakdown of the two psycho, psychoanalytical schools of thought. And Mage is definitely more of an expert on Jung than I am. Um, I I tend I tended to focus more on the Freud uh, aspects within my personal studies for psychology because that kind of went in line with a lot of the theories that I was talking about when I was in school. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I I really I I'm open to having a a. Uh, an alternative to Freud because he said very naughty things about my mother and I don't like him. So Freud, Freud actually didn't say those naughty things. You thought he said those <laughs> naughty things. Oh, I'm with you. So I don't yeah. agree. Sometimes, but. sometimes Justin, a cigar is just a cigar. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. Do you want to, okay. Do you want to talk about the, the time the relativity of time, like we were talking about Can before we the show. Yes. Real quick. Yes. I think we, I mean, we, uh, we have time. So, I mean, I have, I have an email or no, I do. I do have a, it's, it's not an email. It's a conversation that I was having with DJ, uh, DJ Cantrip, uh, over in discord. And it is, it, it doesn't have, it it does and it doesn't have anything to do with the topic. It it it's more of a perspective in the the inconsistencies in the lore, which, given given the Nexus revisited, I thought this was actually a really really kind of good time to have that read that. So it's a it's a longer it's a longer email because it's not quote an email, but I'm gonna I'll save it for the dispatches segment. But yeah, let's so let's let's dive into. We were talking, Justin and I were talking real quick before the show about um, the concept of of temporal manipulation, because you know whenever you have vex, you always have this idea of time manipulation. And I was I was just telling you know I was talking to Justin about you know the the entire concept of pulling something forward in time and the the inherent paradoxes within any any temporal model uh, that that would present you can't really so when when you talk about time travel in in order to prevent what's commonly referred to as the grandfather paradox generally it's assumed that you have to have a multiverse a multiverse model of reality in order to prevent basically a temporal implosion, which would rip the very fabric of being or of time and being like your, your existential fabric would be ripped theoretically if you had only one timeline, because by very, by just merely 
becoming present in another time that you were not supposed to be, you are impacting things that would change. So like if I go back in time, right? I go back in time. I don't Mm -hmm. do anything. I merely go back in time. Don't do anything. I just step on a blade of grass or I, I step into a field and then I come back to our time. That mere, that mere presence within the existence of that temporal state could theoretically create immense, immense impacts. Well, Especially, I mean, it's, I the, would, it's the ripple. I it's would, ripple. Uh, yeah, I would, I would argue not could. Well, I okay. would argue I, I would. Mean, yes, I mean, but it, I mean, would. I, it's inevitable. Right. Yeah, it is inevitable. I, I will. It's a rip. It's, um. The best, the best example that I could think of is go, you know, go look at a steel pool of water and pick the smallest, smallest item you can bit. I mean, even a grain of sand. And if you throw that into a perfectly, now this is theoretical. This is, this is something that you would, you would not be able to actually physically do. But if you threw a grain of sand into a perfectly calm pool of water, there will be ripples. It doesn't matter. You are disturbing the fabric of that thing. Now, you might not perceive those ripples. Uh, relativism being what it is, I absolutely hate relativism. But th- being what it is, you might not be able to perceive them. But the effect is still present. It doesn't matter if you agree, if you if you notice it. Because eventually those ripples can then impact it's it's a ripple effect or yeah sky and it's it's similar to a butterfly effect um the ripples will create other ripples and this will create other ripples and then blah 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 and it's multiplying multiplying multiply, multiply, multiply and eventually what happens is that gets so so inflated and so overwhelming for the fabric of that piece that this could technically rip that fabric now. That's where the concept of a multiverse comes in, because with a multiverse, you could theoretically shred a timeline and it wouldn't matter because you could argue that that timeline was going to be destroyed anyways. Uh, You, you know, you have things like that. However, the uh, there is there is one one example in which this could work. And that is the merchant and the alchemist gate theory. Um, and what that theory basically is, it's a, it's a really good short story. Uh, and it's actually been, it's actually been brought up in destiny before, uh, the vex, the vex ghost fragments actually brings this up, but the theory for the, for the, um, the merchant and the alchemist gate is that if you have a universe or a reality in which you do see something like time travel, it is a reality in which ultimately there is no such thing as free will. Because ultimately what ha- what that means is that that event has already happened in the way that it will happen. So your future is determined before it's existing because by definition it has already happened. And there's, there's a... There's a lot of issues with that. Um, most predominantly, the destruction of any concept of free will, uh, because everything is determined at that point. 
because that's the only way that your temporal integrity could exist is if you if you have if you have a timeline in which there is time there is time travel but there is no alternate dimensions then that dictates that you are already predetermined to do what you are doing because it is a set path in order to prevent the destruction of everything within that timeline now the concept of the multiverse theory involves what's called sidestepping and uh, visiting basically stepping to the side and borrowing from those different realities which in turn could destroy those different realities but in the big picture of in the big picture of the universe the destruction of one timeline in a multiverse theory in a multiverse reality would not matter because the prime reality whichever that would be would still exist as long as there's one reality that still continues then technically the temporal uh integrity is still going forward and yeah pins pins is mentioning stephen king uh, i think that's the langoliers that you're talking about and the langoliers is a concept that your past is being consumed uh, and King's story was basically the end of time, the death of time. And I'm going to let Justin kind of take that on because that, that actually kind of ties into a, a conversation that we were having with with what what exactly is time, right? Yeah, so time is a lot of things, okay? Time to human being is the marked passage of a set duration that we have used to mark our days, our nights, our minutes, our seconds, however you want to put it. If you take a human being and you deprive him of external stimulus that kind of demarks his day, he will still come up with some fashion of timekeeping, whether or not it's, it's a, it's a prisoner in isolation marking the days on the wall based on when the light comes and goes through his little window slit or whether or not it's a little bit more sophisticated like we have today. Human beings strive to to keep some sort of record of the passage of time. That's time as we know it today. We all, you know, you've heard set your clocks back for daylight savings time or do this or do that. This is all relative to our to our, you know, kind of marking of the passage of time. This has absolutely nothing to do with the actual properties of time, the actual passage of time, the laws of physics, anything like that. All it really has to do with is our little man-made system for counting the days, the minutes, the hours that make up our existence. Because without doing that, we would drive ourselves insane. Now, after having just thrown that out and that's off the table, then, you know, then we can stop looking at time as some abstract number of hands pointing at certain digits, right? We can start thinking of time as a, a continuum or, or a space to be explored as opposed to a, you know, a, an elapsed time to be set, we can start looking at, at it as, as an actual space that we can move in, that we can explore. I mean, obviously you and I can't do it. Otherwise, you know, we probably wouldn't be here right now. We'd be, you know, mm-hmm. I'd be 
checking out some dinosaurs or something, but um, be hollering at Linda, Linda Carter <laughs> having a popsicle. I don't know, but I'd be doing something pretty awesome if I could, if I could manipulate time in this manner, but time as we know it through, through the theories of Einstein and in various other, you know, um, very gifted physicists is relative. It's not only relative, it's subjective. It's relative to your motion and it's subjective to your perception of it. So um, Blue and I were actually talking about the linear movement of a person on a timeline. Well, we know just through the study of black holes, which, you know, is very limited because we, you know, it's very hard to recreate a black hole. But we do know through our study of black holes that time can be bent in the natural world. It happens all the time. Um, we do know through various fields of mathematics that have been, that have kind of tried to simulate faster than light travel that time dilation is a very real thing. So. Seeing that time is relative to your frame of reference, um, it's not at all hard to believe that it could be manipulated by simply shifting your frame of reference as you see fit. And I think primarily this is the Vex's mechanic. Um, as they as they shift between timelines and they they you know they they use things like the restorative mind to go to go back to a previous state and blue said it, it's like the, the control Z on your computer. You're really not doing much more than reverting to a previous state. Um, and I think all that is, it's just about shifting your frame of reference um, and shifting sort of your relativity. Um, and if we want to talk time travel, time travel uh, theories. I have a couple that are very near and dear to my heart, but definitely want to hear what blue has to think. Well, and so like, and this is, this is kind of, it's, it's a love hate relationship. (laughs) Um, It's a love hate relationship I have with the concept of relativism within this particular aspect. Um, the the reason why is when i was when i was in when i was in my college years we had a we had a i was a psychology major and we i was i focused more on thanatology and regards to the phenomenological aspects of not counseling but of how social representations are made but we did have a class in which we actually discussed um, – it's basically the hermeneutic concept of the passage of time, which is really kind of what we're talking about. It's how, you know, Justin, like what you were saying, is this this arbitrary assignment of segments and of information on time. And we, we read uh, – my professor was Dr. Fishersmith, and she had co-written a book with another doctor, uh, Dr. Slife in which this actually, this was the entire concept of this, of that article. 
And it, it, it's basically like the psychology of time. And it's talking about like how you perceive, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll notice this if you are in school or if you're in a class and you're, or you're at work and you're watching the clock, you know, when that five minutes take feels like it takes five hours. But then when you're having fun, you're playing a video game, you're playing destiny, that five minute takes like that. It, it's because your experience of the same amount of time arbitrarily, arbitrarily that time passed the same, right? It was five minutes, quote minutes, which is something that humanity has imposed on that. But experientially that has not passed the same. Um, and so agree, there is a, there is a need for us to create an artificial concept of time in which to, you know, all have this communication and build all of that. But there is also a degree of which everything is relative. Um, and did you did sorry did you already talk about the the event horizon concept? No, no, you okay. should totally. Um, so Justin and I were talking. You know, we we were kind of going back and forth on our thoughts about this whole thing before the show started up. And he, Justin brought up the the idea of you know like well time time is relative because if you throw something in, theoretically. If you throw something into an event horizon of a black hole, time slows. To which I kind of responded with, well, yes and no. The experience of time slows, but time itself doesn't really slow. It still is occurring. You just are experiencing it at a, either at a slower point. If you're, I think it's, I think if you're on the outside, of the, and I'm trying to remember, if you're on the outside of the event horizon, it looks slower, but if you're in the event horizon, theoretically, it would be happening at the same time. Right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Like you're, you're, yeah. You yeah. are experiencing yeah. it at the same process, but the perception of the person on the outside is that you're getting stretched and torn. Like, I mean, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're dying. You're dead. Um, but it, it's just, you know, the concept there is that you can bend time. Um, and what this all kind of tied into was we were talking about the, the necessity of the integrity to reach back into time. And I think Justin, you're, you, we had gotten onto this because you said, oh, well, there's cases in which time, time disruption, time disruption exists, right? Was that what you were saying? Trying to remember yeah, this was yeah. Like, basically, you were saying that it was distorted, distorted time distortion. Yeah, time time can be distorted, but it in a black re- hole, right? It it can be distorted, but it still goes forward. Exactly, and you there's still a passage, right? You can't, and that was that was my point was that even though you're getting distorted time, it is still progressing forward. You can never you can never distort time to such a degree that it comes back, and so the concept not not naturally, um, the concept of re- reversing time is an is a naturally mm-hmm. abomination yeah. of the physics of time, and Even and actually G man G man hits it uh, perfect in chat. Your yes, reference of yes. time around you separates from the outer views viewers frame of reference and this this takes me back to when i was a younger lad of say i don't know 16 and i invented my own direction a lot of people don't know this in the scientific community i invented my own direction and it's it is called frack words and that is when 
you are in a flatbed truck or trailer that is covered and the truck is moving forward. And then you inside the truck are walking the opposite direction inside the trailer. And then you are not quite going forward, not quite going backwards. You are going backwards. Everything is then kind of muddied by your perception of everything around you. Your perception of, of the enclosure you're in is that you are walking forward, right? The truck is, is traveling the opposite direction. So which way are you actually traveling? Which way is the most important? The answer is your frame of reference, right? That is the, the immediate direction in which you are traveling. Like us on the earth, we're, we're rotating on an axis. So we're always moving. Me sitting here in this chair, I'm moving hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles an hour right now without even knowing it. But my frame of reference is I'm staring at a stationary computer screen. So all the other stuff is just window dressing. The thing that matters is my frame of reference. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And you can use that, that you're going backwards, by the way. Oh, okay. Thank you. I, I give you complete and utter. I've been trying to make that catch on for a while now. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, and again, whenever we talk about we can talk, there there should be an episode that is just time travel. Yeah, we can talk time travel. Yeah, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Now, now, now they're now they're conversing about the universe and its continual expansion in chat Uh, and contracting and yeah. And oh, God. All right. Anyways, we can talk bootstrap paradoxes if we want. No, we can make it happen. No, <laughs> let's go. Let's let's go to dispatches. Okay, real do quick. It. Dispatches from the wilds. All right. So, like I said. Um, we, I had a conversation with DJ Cantrip and this is gonna, this is gonna be a, a long read, but it's a really good one. And it, it's one that actually is dealing with pretty much lore in general. So DJ, DJ sent, I also want to share my idea on what I call the bronze perspective when it comes to inconsistencies in the lore. In comics, the Bronze Era of comics was horrible about continuity breaks, drop plots, and changes that made no sense in relation to the nature of the character they were writing. This was often due to constant changes to the creative team and the new teams coming in just doing what they wanted versus resolving the previous stories. In the early 2000s, after the near collapse of the comics industry, we saw a new generation of creative teams come in. They had been fans who grew up inspired and empowered by the Bronze Era of comics, but saw the flaws of it. So when they came in, they started to write new stories, evolving characters and IPs, while using the gaps in the past to springboard those stories and reconciling the gaps. It wasn't perfect, and they ran into their own errors since they hadn't begun working as a house of ideas with meetings to ensure coming plots were all in the same stream. So when the next set of people came in, they started to do this and filled in those gaps so they could continue pushing forward with new ideas at the same time, evolving while healing. 
The meetings and conferences would spawn research material for the coming teams and allow exiting teams to prompt the new teams as to where the old teams were leaving the characters and the world before they started up. I remember one writer saying they were going to be writing a Wolverine arc and was handed a massive binder of Logan's entire history and story arcs. I bring this up because if we are to analyze the lore behind this fictional world, we have to take into account how many times the creative team for Destiny has changed. Not only in staff, but in structure. Also, let's take the most recent video from Briar Rabbit into, into this thought as well, because Bungie has just put up job offerings from narrative directors who would run and make sure the creative team was on track and consistent throughout development and staff changes. Vanilla was Destiny's Bronze Age, a semi-vague con- continuity with some cool stories, neat character mentions, and attempts to set the stage, but without consideration as to where they were going. What was our impetus to ever go into the vault after the Black Garden? Why would we be incentivized to go after Crota when we knew when we know the Vanguard wasn't 100% on board with Eris just yet? It wasn't until House of Wolves that we got some consistent plot development and world building. They started up a history for the Reef and the Fallen while moving the story from Vanilla forward. The Queen was calling in the favor we owed her. We got more on the Battle of Six Fronts as more than just a massive fight for the city, but just how the Reef was supporting us. We also got more of the Prison of Elders that Cade casually mentioned in the Winter's Run Strike. Back in Vanilla, we had no mention of it to my knowledge. Also, like a good comic, we have a B-plot that is happening in between major plots. The Reef and Awoken are our B-plots, as their stories never seem to advance or involve us until after the major conflict, after major campaign, has completed. And while we focus on the Reef, the writing team is filling in gaps with the story with new item descriptions, dead ghosts, and character dialogue. So when we hit these parts of the game where it feels like it is a dead end and an infuriating one at that point, such as the aspect of Glass versus the Glass Mignonette, or the other raid ships, I call Bronze perspective on it. Year one, the raid ships, including reef ships, kind of break any narrative reason to have found them or why they exist. The year two onward raid ships are unique in design and seem to tie more into the story world even if we don't get narrative reasons for having them. So, that was it. Like I said, it was... It was a long one, but I I really think it has a a really good perspective to it. Um, and Justin, I'm gonna let you weigh in before I say anything. No, no i I think his uh, his assessment of the story of the storytelling kind of progression here is spot on, and I. <laughs> I get so annoyed when when people just out of hand kind of dismiss Destiny's sc- storytelling just because it's kind of the popular thing to do. What story? Um, there's a drastic difference from the, from the way we experience storytelling in game today to the way we experienced it um, at launch. Um, it's vastly different. And uh, I think that's... That that's worth a little bit of a uh, recognition here. Um, I definitely, um, you know, I definitely think that the renewed storytelling kind of kind of makes us go back and hit those old points and think a little bit more about them, especially the stuff with the reef and the fallen. That makes you know, for the first year of Destiny, the fallen were just kind of this enemy we just killed because they were there, and then during house of wolves and then subsequent DLCs, we kind of started to, to learn a little bit more and there was a little bit more, uh, 
kind of gravitas to some of the characters. So I yeah. definitely think that's a great message. No. And, and that's why, I mean, like I said, that's why I definitely wanted to, to read it. Um, because, you know, we, we talked about that with the guardian vehicles. That's, that's kind of where that example came from when we were, when we were talking about the glass minuet and the, uh, aspect or wait, uh, the aspect, aspect of glass, aspect of glass. Yeah. Um, and you know how they're, they're the exact same and the same with the Crotozen thing. And it, it's, it was, it's frustrating because, you know, for, for those who spend a lot of time looking at the minor details, which honestly, a lot of people who play Bungie's games, that's what they do. They're very passionate about the minor details. Um, you know, for those individuals, it's very frustrating because there, there is a degree of a sense of lack of care for continuity when it, it honestly, it isn't, it, it, it really isn't. Um, and it, it could just simply be a real life situation, you know, and that's kind of what DJ was saying is like, you know, you have to take into account the fact that there were a lot of staff changes, you know, there's the staff changes. Every time a staff change, it comes out, you know, every time a person leaves a job, there's a ton of knowledge that is lost. That is just not able to be tracked. Um, and that's, I know that because my my profession that I actually work in is very very heavy on the knowledge side. It's not so much we we aren't when we do our work. It's more about the knowledge and the the soft skills. Um, and so when we lose someone at our you know at our company, it sets us back in our projects because what happens is you know yeah you can tell me that i need to go here 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 to set up a, a report for whatever but if i don't understand the syntax of your system i can't actually i can go there and i can look at it and be like okay that's great you have reports set up but i need you know to set up a new report i don't understand it which is why you have training stuff and you know you you show people and you're trying to cross train and that's kind of what he's he's pointing out with the whole bronze thing the bronze perspective is that concept of this is kind of where we're moving we're moving towards that and we're hopefully going to have better continuity even if staff changes and stuff like that and we we do have a degree of seeing that with the taken king and with the rise of iron and all that so I I completely 100% agree with his perspective and that's part of the reason why I wanted to include it. Um let me see. I want to say I had one more. It was some spin foil for you, Justin. Nice. Where'd it go? Here it is. So this is this is from Julian. And Julian says, Hi, Focus Fire Chat. Today I come to you with Vex Spinfoil. So, it seems that latent timelines can not only pull things from other failing timelines, but push things into others. If we destroyed the restorative mind in our timeline, then I assume that a different restorative mind, the one um, pulled, pulled a Nexus mind into its timeline and then pushed it into our timeline and then just pulled another Nexus mind for... Oh, because he's he's actually kind of throwing in the console exclusive ones so okay that's what he's saying he's saying that i assume that a different restorative mind the one from the xbox timeline i am still salty i don't have the strike pulled a nexus mind into its timeline then pushed into arb the playstation timeline then just pulled another nexus mind from the xbox timeline so (laughs) (laughs) 
Another theory is for the Vault of Glass returning as a taken and non-taken variant. I believe that Atheon being time's conflicts and being inside the vault allowed him to become paracausal, and he, instead of dying, found a timeline where there were no guardians and pushed himself into it and nothing else, but in return making him unparacausal, allowing him to be taken. He is mm-hmm. a he is a warlock master class, and he is an Ophidian Ophidian Sunsinger of the Rainbow Deaths. There you go. Rainbow Death Squad. Rainbow Death Squad. I have vexed milk with my Aussie wheat bix in the morning, shank burnt steak for dinner, and to this day, I still wonder what is under a wizard's dress. All the secrets of the void. Oh god, don't did, 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 go back to the That's spin what it is. That's what it is. Wow. So that that was very spin foily. So that kind of equated almost time space to a chessboard. And the Vex is just kind of moving things around on the chessboard. Like just, you know, rook to L5 and and just moving minds from place to place to place to place to place. Um, it does bring up a very good question for me. And uh, it's not so much. It just made me think about it for one second. We killed Atheon, right? Yes. Well, we destroyed Atheon. Should not time have just stopped? No. Well, why would it? I always viewed, I always kind of viewed Atheon as the, you know, the just the gerbil on the wheel. No, going nuts. no, I don't think he's the gerbil on the wheel. I think he's the, he's the he's, he's the he's the he's basically the controller of the terminal. Like he's the he's the cat with the jelly toast on his back, just doing flips. No, if he was a cat with jelly toast on his back, he wouldn't have stopped. He would have just laughed and then smacked us. <laughs> you know that to be true. If you put a cat and jelly toast together, you're going to have infinite energy, and that's all there is. To they it. will spin indefinitely. <laughs> Thus producing <laughs> quantum propulsion. <laughs> by the way, if you haven't read it, read Variable Star by Spider Robinson and oh Robert Heinlein. Do it. <laughs> Best book ever. Um, yes. No, uh, that is very, very interesting. Very interesting. And at the same time, very perplexing because each step in and of itself warrants like 10 questions. So once you answer those 10 questions, then you have another step and then you've got another 10 questions. So um, it's one that definitely takes a little bit of, you know, I've got to be a little bit pensive on this one. I'm going to say in the spirit of vexness, I'm going to say that it's, I like it. Hurts? So, I don't know. Atheon card. Um, I don't know. Let me see. But yeah, so you, so you you approve of this? That we're ill-equipped. I I, that's all, that's the only thing I remember from the Atheon card is the fact that we're all ill-equipped to deal with anything. Yeah, so I will read Atheon or Times Conflicts real quick. Okay, go for it's it. the best thing ever. Um, to speak of Atheon, 
is to accept certain limitations. We are ill-equipped to understand an entity that defies simple causality. Let us accept these limitations and proceed. Atheon waits in the vault of glass. Just as Atheon sidesteps past and future, it is impossible to say whether Atheon created the vault or the vault created Atheon. Causal pathways converge on Atheon from every axis in axis in the space-time bulk. Atheon has a function. We hazard that it regulates and oversees the Vex Conflux system. What are these confluxes? How do they relate to the physical Vex networks that has devoured so much of Mercury and Venus? We might guess that the Vex Confluxes represent the extension of this network across space and time. Perhaps the Vex use closed time-like curves to, ins- to solve unfathomable computations. Or the Vex may seek to transcend a physical substrate and move their thoughts directly into the fundament of the universe. If physics is a set of rules that the, that the cosmos uses to calculate itself, perhaps the Vex seek to worm their way in these calculations, becoming a law of reality, inseparable from existence, a virus in the system. Perhaps Atheon was the centerpiece of this project a command nexus that unified efforts across time. But we must accept that all of this is speculation. Yeah, that's one of the best cards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, good, good, good eye, Hurt Chain. Yeah, he wants to work his way into, he wants to worm his way into the fundament. That cannot be an accident. That was a Shatheon that was interstellar. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I think that's it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You guys. All right. So that, yeah. Um, Do we have, do you have anything else for the Vex Strikes? Not much. There weren't uh, just that there weren't enough of them. At least not that I was able to experience. So maybe a few more. Vex strikes would be nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? Um, I don't really. Yeah, no, I don't really have much. Uh, we are. I'm trying to. Well, I have. I I'm working with some uh, some people from chat to try to compile some stuff that we will be hopefully should be able to share soon, kind of with regard to the Vex. Um, but I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything about it right now because look, look it's, at pins. I know pins look is at pins, pins in is, chat. Pins is Lorebot in our chat. By the way, he's a beast. So he came up with it. You think time? You think of time as a constant companion. Right up until you're drowning in it, suffused in time, shivering under the glare of the conflux. Then you will know what I know. Time is a predator, and it cannot be sated. File 34543 from Pray to this Ghost. There you go. I like how that file number kind of goes up and down. Yeah, yeah. I've got my own theories about that, but let's move on. Yeah, I need to talk. Okay, anyways, so, shout outs. Real quick, uh, email topic for next week. We're going to be discussing the Rainbow Death Squad, also known as the Future War Cult. 
Uh, so any thoughts, questions, concerns, comments? I don't know what else you would put in an email. Spin foil theories. Everything. Everything. Anything that you have that has something to do with the future war cult, we want to hear. So be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with those thoughts, questions, concerns, comments, spin foil theories, further thoughts. Um, and then also, I just wanted to give a big, big shout out to our new Podbean patron, uh, Tronins. Tronins. I believe I said that correctly. Tronians. Tronians. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome. And hope to see you in the Discord chat here shortly and soon. All right, Justin, take it before I embarrass myself any further. I'm gonna go find I'm gonna go find Google Speak and see if I can get it to Google Speak. Um Yeah, just big shout out to uh obviously Mel who couldn't make it here tonight because she is at what is she at, Blue? Is Mel at Sacramento? Sacom? I think she's at she's at uh, check. she's at a convention in Sacramento, I think is. Okay. Uh yeah, she's at SAC Anime. Oh, SAC Anime, that's what it was. Yeah, I think that's the Sacramento um Anime Convention. Anime convention. Yeah, so anyways, big shout out to Mel who couldn't be here. I maybe should have looked that up before the shout out, but it's cool. Whatever. Um and also, great big shout out to Bife for joining us for the Mass Effect episode, which was super fun. And uh, big shout out to my crew, DoD Shadow White crew. Sorry for falling asleep and not making the raid last night. I feel awful. And uh, yeah, shout out to Time Travel because Steph. Shout out, shout out to Vex Whiskers. Vex Whiskers or Barbels, also barbles. known as Vex Barbels. Vex Barbels, also known as. Do you have it queued up? Oh, hang on. No, you're awful. I'm. You're I'm. Just... I'm not good at this yet. I haven't had to practice this one yet. Hang on. Let me see if I can. Vibrasi. Vibrasi. Yeah, vibras. There it is. There it is. All right, ready? Go. Also known as Vex Vibrissa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with Lou and Justin did a show by themselves. (laughs) We made it. (laughs) So with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through that email as well. Be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on the guardiansofdestiny.com. Until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.
Vibrissa. 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 Let's see if I can get this. That's like polite by before he insulted me all the time. Whisker. <laughs> Barble. Barble. <laughs> Barble. 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 Uh, yeah, Hurt wants you to make Google say sneaky snack. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, it, it doesn't have it.